Welcome to The Markitect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. Markitect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, my guest co-host Jorge and I have the pleasure of interviewing two tip-top marketing executives who have built and managed product marketing teams at Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, WeWork, and Google, to name a few. Today, we'll explore how they help their organizations position to win. And now it's my pleasure to introduce you to Robin, Indy, and my guest co-host, Jorge. Welcome, gents. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Jorge, I always love collaborating with you. This is the first time with Robin and Indy. And my God, this is Jordan, Pippin, Batman, Robin. I don't know who's who, (laughs) but you guys have worked together at Box, Salesforce, Matterport, WeWork, Four, unless I'm getting it wrong, four places. That that's absolutely phenomenal. What, what, why, why, why are you guys always uh, seemingly together? I mean, it's 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 like the ultimate bromance. We always say, you know, we're brothers from another mother. So uh, we are, we are ride or die, ride and die buddies for life. That's that's for sure. Right. You know, uh, we just have good chemistry. We understand each other. There's a implicit trust uh, between us and. Uh, yeah, I think we see the world in many ways. So that also makes it easier when you're collaborating together. It's just, a, it's been a great partnership. And uh, honestly, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life. And I hope it continues for, for a long time to come. Yeah. Wow, Indy, how about that? You're oh, I, don't, I don't know how to follow that his life. You know, like, uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. You know, it's always nice when in your professional life, as well as in your personal life, you just end up finding a, like, you know, a brother in arms, right? Or, and uh, mm-hmm. and kind of have someone where you have that immediate kind of chemistry, the esprit de core, right? Like that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. I think about some of the best teams out there. It's not just because people are good at what they do. It's also because they work well together, right? So mm-hmm. take the Splash Brothers, like uh, <laughs> Turner and Pooch, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, there's just some chemistry there. There's something that works, you know, Batman and Robin. Uh, exactly. I mean, I, for those of you who don't know, I mean, me, I mean, Indy is, has a slight, just slight obsession with Batman. Uh, you know, I remember when we, uh, we first started hanging out and he was showing me his Batman uh, paraphernalia, you know, his Batman, I think Matt's in his car and mugs and I'm like, wow, oh, okay, this is, this is, this is some next level, but it made sense that, you know, I'm Robin, he's Batman. We go well together. Love it. Love it. And, and let's not forget, there's an I-N in Robin. And so <laughs> as such, it, it's meant to be, it's meant to be. All right, gents, before we get to some of these questions, oh, now you got it. All right, there we go. That's cheesy, but I'm going to keep it. Uh, indulge me for a moment. I got two fill in the blanks. Indy, let's start with you. And then we'll go to Robin. I am in marketing because I am in marketing. Let's see. Because I love making connections between people and the products and services that bring them joy. You know, as far back as I can remember, I'll paraphrase here from Goodfellas, right? But as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a marketer and probably for that reason. Wow. Batman references, Goodfellas is getting off to a swimming start. I love it. Uh, Robin, uh, I am in marketing because, and feel free to talk about your favorite movie as well. (laughs) Um, I don't even know how to top that, but uh, I, so I'm not going to try. I, I've always uh, loved marketing as well. I'm in marketing because I love storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the power of marketing to really impact people's hearts and minds. You know, the, it, marketing is the ultimate way that you get somebody to be emotionally connected to what you do. It's how uh, you you tell bitter stories. And I've always loved storytelling. I love movies. Indian, that's another thing we bond a lot about. We talk a lot of, we're, we're nerds, Marvel Universe, you know, DC, <laughs> EU, you name it. But 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 movies are so great at storytelling. And, and it's one of those things that, that Indian and I have always tried to do in our marketing together is like bring that level of cinematic storytelling to everything that we do. But but I, I'm in marketing because I love storytelling. Oh, love it. Uh, I love it. Well Next one. my uh, Robin, let's stay with you and then we'll go over to, to Indy. My definition of leadership is? My definition of leadership is really about being a unifier, somebody who can bring everybody together around a common vision, 
create excitement around that vision, and then get people to execute around that vision. Your job as a leader is not to know it all or be the best at everything. Your job is to unite people and get everyone going in the same direction towards that common goal. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, love it. And, and I love some of your uh, your LinkedIn posts where you talk about CMOs who don't have to be the domain expertise and uh, expert in, in all the functions, <laughs> sub-functions within marketing. There's a long laundry list. Well, it's, a, well, it's an impossibility. Uh, surround right? yourself. Yeah, yeah surround yourself. Is it even possible to know everything? No, uh, no. That's... Exactly, Jorge, exactly. And, and But you surround yourself with the right people. You unify them around this common vision. Love it, Robin. Love it. Indy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that answer. You know, my, my definition of leadership is, is along the same lines. You know, at the end of the day, leadership is a privilege, right? It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, someone somewhere uh, gave you the resources and responsibility to hire, direct people who are probably just as smart and talented as you, if not more, right? You know, I think I echo what Robin said, right? It's a uh, leadership's responsibility is not to be great at everything, right? Because that's impossible. But I think you should have a strong sense of what great looks like, right? And 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 mm-hmm. and and, and um, um, uh, inspire people with that notion uh, and and create followership around it, right? Like I don't think uh, you know for you to be a leader, you got to have people follow you, and uh, and uh, and and it's not it's not always easy, right? But but that's the job. Love it. All right, let's get uh, let's get to it. So you know we're going to start with the basics, which is this is for both Robin and Indy. <laughs> What's the role, from your perspective, in all the organizations that you've been in, what's the role of product marketing, especially in a SaaS company? I'll go first, just so we don't speak over each other. But um, I think it's really about owning the go-to-market machine, really, for taking your product, your message to market. doesn't mean the product marketing, in many ways, owns all of it. And certainly doesn't mean that they're experts. That's not what I'm saying at all. But they're really the ones that takes the beauty of what product engineering builds and then figures out how to make that into something that the market wants. That means, you know, figuring out how to you work with your you know, digital team or your campaigns teams or your events teams or your sales teams to bring that to market in the right way for the right audience at the right time with the right message, of course. A core part of product marketing in any company is really they should be the ones owning the positioning and the messaging mm-hmm. of how you go to market, both as your as your product, but also certainly as your company, because that becomes your differentiator, really being able to answer those fundamental questions of why should people care? And the best product marketers in the world, they know how to mix, especially in, in the SaaS industry, knows how to mix emotion with uh, data to tell really compelling stories around that. Because of course, the, the, the sales, especially in, in B2B are much more complex it's never really just a single buyer who, who ends up buying. So you have to figure out how do you take people on that journey and usually not just people, but multiple people, multiple teams on that journey to understand the benefits of your product. So they fall in love with it and ultimately end up buying it and become loyal customers. But it starts with product marketing. Product marketing oftentimes sits at the center of all those activities. Again, doesn't mean they own all of it or they're experts on it, but they, 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 it starts with them. I love it. And Robin, that, that is so true, especially the distinction between B2B and B2C, where B2B, you really do have to mix that emotion with data. I was yeah. just at a mall recently on a trip to the US with my son, 14-year-old, and he's like, Dad, we've got to buy this Prime stuff <laughs> in Canada. I'm like, Prime? What the hell is Prime? And it's this new drink that I think Logan Paul and all these new YouTubers <laughs> have created. Oh, cool. and, and there is no data or rational sense as to why the hell I had to spend $4 <laughs> on this small bottle of Prime for this guy. He's a good kid, so I bought it for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, whereas in, in, on the B2B side of it, you're right. It's not just an emotional decision. It's you, you have to have the objective data behind you, the rational as to what is the impact that this is going to have that's uh, right. On the actual customer. But but, but here, here's a truism, right? I've done this many, many times. This is why, one of those reasons why Indy and I jive so well together is no matter who you ask, and I always ask the founders, VCs, you know, people I meet uh, in different companies, tell me three brands you love. And everybody always mentions B2C brands, always. You know, I love Patagonia, I love Tesla, I love Lululemon, you name it. They never mention B2B brands. So the answer is obvious. Market yourself like a B2C brand, even if you're a B2B company. If you look at my, my background, Indy's background, we've only worked in B2B companies. We work LinkedIn, Google, you name it. But we always tried to market ourselves as much as you could. 
at the highest level as a B2C company. And of course, once you get into actually having a conversation, yeah, you got to support with data and facts and logic and all kinds of things. But the highest level, you got to have an emotional connection. And B2C brands honestly do it better, I think, most cases than, than B2B brands. Yeah, I'm with you. Indy, the role of product marketing in a SaaS company. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just picking up on, on what Robin was mentioning, right? Like, I think the, the, the key difference to me is like, you know, B2C is like, you know, uh, if you're a B2C company, you have something to sell. If you're a B2B company and uh, you've done it right, you have something that people want to buy, right? And I think, um, and that's the function. That's why product marketing is so important, right? Because you are sitting at that intersection, that vantage point of like product sales and marketing, and you can really help hone that message, the reasons to the reasons to believe that this is a product that you need, right? And um, and that you need for your company, your enterprise, your teams. You're really that connective tissue across various elements. So, you know, going back to what we were just discussing, right? Like I think product marketing done right, like really distills the why, what, and how of go-to-market, right? It doesn't mean that you own and operate the whole thing. It's uh, it's just that you have the best vantage point on like, you know, how to make that a success. Assuming you have brand as like a, you know, like a primitive to kind of work with, assuming you have, you know, like, you know, demand gen and field marketing and all those different elements, especially in B2B SaaS that you can kind of plug and play with, right? But I would say, you know, um, the, the job number one, maybe not in uh, in that order, right? But I think to me, uh, good product marketing does the, the following three things, right? Is one is it helps you find your niche, right? Like define it, refine that positioning, you know, working with product to really fine tune who your product is for and why is that product going to be, you know, useful for that person. I think the second thing is you have the opportunity to really frame a compelling narrative around why that product X, Y, Z, right? Like can make a better, can make that customer, the intended uh, recipient, uh, a better version of themselves, right? Like I, you know, going back to the example of, uh, you know, Robin was talking about Apple, right? You know, I still remember, I'm still old enough to remember the first iPod ads, right? And it was like, <laughs> and it wasn't like a 3.5 millimeter, uh, you know, hard drive, like encased in like, you know, white plastic with like earbuds, right? It was it was a uh, thousand songs in your pocket to begin with, right? And then 10,000 songs, right? And that creates that immediate connection, that emotional resonance, right? And so what's the equivalent of that on, on the B2B space, right? Like, I think you have to aspire to, you know, come up with some messaging that tells people that you can equip them uh, and make them a better version of themselves. And I think that's mm -hmm. where specifically when you can crack that code, uh, you know, you can really equip sales for success, right? Like in, mm -hmm. equip them for like that impact, right? And uh, the ability to, um, uh, you know, like have the most authentic conversations uh, around the product and why, right? And 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 it, in fact, like if, if done right, it even helps you figure out who are the right customers that you should even be talking to versus even people who approach you, uh, uh, but for you to be very clear-minded being like whether you're fit for them or not, right? Like I think if you can distill that, 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 that story and that narrative in, in the purest sense, you know exactly who you need to go after and who you, you know, they talk about, you know, firing your customer, right? But you know who, mm -hmm. who you don't have to go after. Mm -hmm. And then finally, mm -hmm. putting it all together, I think it's just, you know, product marketing done right, like just builds a, a scalable storytelling platform, right? Like I think we've talked about stories a little bit so far. And, um, you know, I remember telling my teams that done right, messaging should be like an API for the rest of the organization, right? It's uh, it's uh, something that should be plug and play where you have it kind of dialed in. And of course you can change it, but where if somebody in field marketing in India says, hey, you know, Indy, how do we talk about WeWork, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, for the Indian market, you should have like, you know, do, 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 you know, like some kind of like, you know, like a slide that, that you know, kind of spits <laughs> out the, the um, uh, you know, the, the, the three value pillars that, that resonate the most with the Indian market, right? And then of course, hmm. it's a living, breathing thing. Like that person, this is a true story, by the way, the person could come back to me and be like, hey, I love pillars three, five, and one, two and four are not really applicable to our market. That's a learning that I can bring back to the organization, right? But I think that's where it's, uh, there's that common, uh, constant kind of exchange, but yeah, done right, uh, you know, product marketing can make, can make messaging an API. Oh, love this. Owning the go-to-market machine, finding your niche, compelling narrative, <laughs> building that scalable storytelling platform. Whilst doing all that, where do you believe product marketing should reside and why? <laughs> oh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I for sure think it should live in marketing. I've seen it live in product. Uh, sometimes I've even seen it live in uh, in other functions as well. Mostly it's usually between product or marketing. 
if it's, it lives in product, it oftentimes uh, becomes more of an internal function. And I just don't, don't think that that's what product marketing should be all about. Of course, you have to have super connective tissue to the internal teams, because again, product marketing is often the, the team that brings it all together. So you need to understand the product deeply, have close ties to product engineering and sales. But product marketing really is, at the end of the day, I think an outbound function. Uh, and so that means it should be part of the marketing team, because really what you're thinking about is how do you amplify the message? You know, at the end of the day, if you're trying to create a brand that, that stands the test of time, there's three steps to that. You have to make people understand, number one, what you do. Uh, well, first, first of all, actually, first of all, let's, let's take a step back. First, you have to make people aware of who you are. Then you have to make people understand what you do, and then you have to figure out how to uh, get people to fall in love with you. Those are the kind of the three steps of building a, an awesome brand that people love. A lot of that responsibility sits in product marketing, and a lot of that is actually outbound focused. Now, for each of those steps, awareness, understanding, and, and what I would call love or affinity, mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of different tactics to make that happen, but those are outbound functions mostly uh, to, to make that happen. So product marketing needs to sit uh, in the marketing function because they need to course take again what what you worked on with product um but then you have to deliver it maybe to some analysts maybe to some media maybe through your social media channels maybe through some campaigns oftentimes to sales if you have a direct sales team um and and product marketing's job to figure out how do you take that core message and deliver it to all these different audiences that's really at the essence of it and so it, sitting in product it, it oftentimes becomes just a little too internally focused well, i'll give you an example when i was at linkedin uh, even though product marketing actually sat in, uh, in, in marketing, it used to sit in, in product. And it was, I just, I, I, I could see instantly that the product marketing team were nearly like mini product managers. That was kind of the expectation. So they were much more internally focused and I was trying to get them to change their mindset. And you can argue how successful I was over that, that period of time to be more outbound focused, focus on the go-to-market message, the sales partnership, and bringing something to market that, that, uh, excites uh, you know our customers and so on, uh, so that's why I, I think that's where it should. I mean, I'd love to hear you know, Indy's Indy probably has a similar but also maybe different perspective because he's working some different companies as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I I'm also of the belief right that you know it, it is marketing at its core, right? Product marketing mm -hmm. is is marketing at its core, uh, and, and you know, I, and I, I would always push to kind of put it there. I've had some conversations with people either when. You know, I was trying to hire them or if they were trying to hire me about like, you know, where does product marketing sit? And I think, you know, as a marketer, ultimately, that's what you're going to get evaluated on, right? Is like, you're not a product manager. You're not a salesperson. The job ladders and skill set are just a better fit for someone who is a product marketer, uh, meaning they establish job ladders and skill set that as defined and applicable to a marketer. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've been at companies where, uh, and I've seen it being part of product, but typically just with very mixed results. And it could also, mm -hmm. the skew here is not even just in terms of like where product marketing sits, but also the dominating culture of a company, mm -hmm. right? Like if you mm -hmm. have, you know, let's say hypothetically, uh, one of the biggest companies, search companies in the world where, you know, <laughs> they're, 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 the dominant <laughs> culture is engineering, right? Like <laughs> not, product marketing sits in marketing, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's going to be seen, uh, or at least it was uh, uh, at some point, like seen as more of like a service bureau, right? And, mm -hmm. and in the B two C side of uh, that hypothetical company, uh, you know, like that's probably still the case. But um, you know, on the B two B side, we saw that yes, actually, it's not like so. You know, uh, cards on table. Obviously, I'm talking about Google here, right? And when mm -hmm. we were at building, going from Google for Work to Google Cloud, um, one of the key things that we realized is that you know. Once you're talking about B2B and enterprise, you're not, uh, you can't just say, hey, we're Google and we'll build it and people will come. Of course, that worked for Google for like the last, you know, like 15 years, if not more, right? But in enterprise, people are like, Google, do you really do enterprise? Like, uh, get out of here, right? Like, you know, like, uh, I'm going to go with like Microsoft. No one ever got fired for uh, buying Azure, right? Or like, uh, you know, AWS, right? And we had to kind of just, you know, in, in some ways, as crazy as it sounds, like we were operating with like a, a, a trust deficit just from branding, mm -hmm. name recognition for mm -hmm. enterprise. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where you have to make sure that 
uh, PMM is set up for success. You can't just be, hey, you know, uh, product manager taps you on the shoulder like Indy. We're gonna mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna launch something in two weeks. You know, like can you write a blog post? That literally happened to me in like my you know my first month there, <laughs> and I was like, let's take a step back, you know. And then uh, you know the launch was delayed not because of like just me, but like we ended up reason- making sure that we could put our best foot forward. And I think that's mm-hmm. where to me I would always make the case that PMM should. Obviously, you know, I, I, most of my PMM jobs, I spend more time with product and sales than I have with my marketing counterparts, right? Like that's mm-hmm, this job mm-hmm. itself. But I do think that at the end of the day, you are like the, the only representative of like, you know, on the marketing team. And then you should kind of definitely kind of have like the, that wear that hat and kind of lead product and, and lead sales with like ways in which you can equip them for success, but also make sure that everything that you do is accretive to like the story, the narrative you're putting out of there in the market, right? So mm-hmm. I would say it should live in, 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 in uh, under marketing. Um, you know, no doubt you're going to spend a lot of time with product and almost be like, you know, mistaken for product. You know, I think I, I'll say mm-hmm. this, right? You have you haven't lived as a product marketer until you got your PM promoted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's you know true. I, I, it's I worked true. at Google, and I can tell you, I got a lot of PMs promoted. Love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh. I'll just I'll, I'll go I'll go even a step further, just to 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 make a maybe a controversial statement on this this podcast. But I probably wouldn't even accept a, uh, a head of marketing job if product marketing didn't sit in uh, in marketing. I think it's nearly impossible in B2B, uh, especially to not have product marketing. It's so integral to everything that you do and to not have control of it. And you can argue, oh, well, even if it sits in another function, you can actually, uh, you'll it's a collaborative function, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but they'll be focused on other things. Let's just be real about that. I, yeah. I, I think it, it has to be product marketing because it's so key to all your marketing plans your messaging your go-to-market your campaigns you can't you cannot those cannot really function well without product marketing uh future hires of robin be warned <laughs> he won't take the job unless he has product marketing boom i love that <laughs> indie hashtag trust deficit we don't want product marketers to have a Deficit in any role, and so please, please keep them in marketing. Yeah. Uh, Jorge, uh, I my apologies. I'm uh, I'm stealing all the questions here. Oh. Please, I want to turn it to you. Well, no problem. Well, you know, I uh, to Indy and, and Robin, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing quite a few PMMs last year, and you both have worked for some. Uh, you know, enterprise and high growth organizations across those companies. What did the product marketing teams look like? And like, how did you divide, fun- you know, various functions? Who did what? What about the sub functions? Because what I actually heard from, you know, we have a podcast at Reprise uh, that uh, focused on talking to product marketers is that at times it varies depending on the organization. Mm-hmm. True, true. Indy, Did, um, on it. Yeah. or maybe Robin, go for it. No, go, go for it. it. Go for it, Indy. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, Hori, uh, like or or design, right? Um, so you know, I, I think Robin might remember this from WeWork, right? Because so at WeWork, Robin was uh, my CMO. I was his uh, product marketer uh, um, and leading that team. And you know, I think to me, um, I, I've I've seen so many different ways. And and again, because product marketing can wear so many different hats, you know, um, it, it's tempting to kind of just think of like, okay, well. You know, here's product A, you know, uh, we need a product marketer for that, a product marketer for product B, and so on, right? I think that's still, you know, you'll find a lot of that at companies where you really do need that core, that true product expert, right? Someone who sits at every sprint meeting, sits very closely with like the PM product management team and has their finger on the pulse of what's coming out and, and what's being developed, right? Like that's really, I would say, still to this day, a, a valid kind of way of mm-hmm. looking at it when you're building your team. If, if you have to start, with um with one person and one person only like uh, hire someone who can be like a true SME right like a subject matter expert mm-hmm. for the product right but then I think as you grow especially as you start like talking about more like uh, you know audiences and company sizes right I think what you'll want to do is develop some kind of overlay that I you know I I called it like horizontal and kind of vertical functions right so mm-hmm. on, the, on the horizontal side right as you start becoming bigger. And PMM starts collaborating more with sales and you're kind of building that machine, right? To me, some of those horizontal services, if you will, like that belong in product marketing are typically in my mind, you know, things like analyst relations, 
uh, I'm going to call it corporate comms, you know, like, but basically like kind of slideware and design, right? Someone who's like, you know, really, you know, close to like the visual identity and can kind of kind of build that, that uh, and works closely with brand, of course, right? But someone who can really put that corporate pitch together. You almost have like need to have someone dedicated for like what that, that first call deck is going to look like. And then uh, sales enablement, right? Like, and I think I've seen mm-hmm. sales enablement be part of like sales, being part of like, you know, product marketing that I don't have much, I don't have as much religion on, right? I think at the end of the day, you have to think about what's going to make for sales productivity, right? So I think mm-hmm. that there are two parts of that, the sales enablement, and then just like, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the, the training around it, right? So like, so, so I think, uh, you know, but to me, in my orgs, I've typically had sales enablement. So those are the horizontal services. And then, then if you think about the vertical solutions, right, the vertical services, that's when you want to remix that content, fine tune it so that it's really bespoke for like a particular industry vertical or like mm-hmm. a set of like customers by, you know, maybe by, by uh, segment size, right, that you're selling. So, you know, usual suspects, enterprise, uh, mid-market, mm-hmm. right, that might be one way to slice and dice it. Solutions, it could be, you know, healthcare, you know, retail, it could be, uh, and, and so on, right? So mm-hmm. I think to, to me, like a good, uh, let's say you're at like, you know, 100 million ARR, right? Or like, uh, uh, or more, right? Like that's probably when you start having a much larger product marketing organization, but put together, I think what that gives you the ability to do it. And I think this, I've always tried to be very deliberate if I have the chance and the opportunity to kind of build a team is to first get those subject matter experts, then figure out how do I scale those subject matter experts by giving them that, that air cover from a horizontal standpoint, and then if the business opportunity calls for it, how do I, you know, then kind of remix that content uh, and have those subject matter experts work with like, you know, um, industry kind of like, you know, domain uh, focused folks, right? And and the beauty in that, right? Like, uh, so at WeWork, we had a product marketing team of about, you know, ended up having like 30 people, maybe with some dotted people in the function, but then you have the ability to kind of mix and match, right? Like um, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can say, hey, uh, going back to an example of like, how do I market like, you know, we work for enterprise in India, right? Like you can have like, okay, well, there's a product marketer that looks after the Indian market or like the main guy there. And then also my product marketer who's focused on enterprise messaging. Let's make sure that those two people talk, right? Or they can, you know, again, tap into that API, right? And then kind of, you know, get what they need. So uh, I'm I'm a big kind of micro, kind of like a architecture slash microservices nerd, right? But but I think, you know, those are all things that if you set it up right, they sort of scaffold really nicely for your go-to-market, right? So it's like, it's kind of like AWS for go-to-market. Awesome, Robin. What's your take? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, Indy, Indy uh, said it well. It's one of the reasons I think we work so well together is that that we see the world very similar. I think he described well so a couple of more functions I would probably put under product marketing. And again, to Indy's point, he's absolutely right. Depends on the size, right? Um, I would probably put um, market intelligence and competitive intelligence underneath there. Mm-hmm. Uh, had that when I was, uh, you know, in in. Uh, LinkedIn, for example, and Box. Yeah. Also, I would put in partner marketing uh, and customer marketing. Also, sometimes it's under. Sometimes customer marketing can live under corporate marketing or some, something else. But it can oftentimes also live under uh, a uh, product marketing leader, especially in a B two B company, because again, big part of it is you need to know your customers well. And product marketing and customer marketing are very, very uh, I think synergistic in in that sense. So yeah, partner marketing, customer marketing. Um, the, the difference I would make in sales enablement, uh, I would say sales, in my mind, sales enablement should sit mostly within product marketing and sales productivity should sit in sales. And the, the way I think of it is sales enablement is really the ones who are coming up with the, the core materials that empower sales to be at their best. That could be positioning and messaging, like Indy said, competitive information, market information, kind of synthesizing all that in a way that makes it your sellers understand exactly how to sell your product and sales productivity in my mind is much more about, well, now that you have all those materials and information, how do you scale it to an organization? So Indy's right. I think in a small company, sales enablement, sales productivity is probably fairly similar, uh, probably one person, but as you scale, let's say you have sellers all over the world, then sales productivity becomes the, the, the responsible party for actually scaling that training, messaging, enablement throughout the entire business. Because the sales enablement team is usually 
pretty small. The sales productivity team usually is a little bigger and sits within sales and it's directly small because sales productivity is not just about scaling what the sales enablement people do. That That's not what I'm saying. It's part of it, but they're also training them on skills, negotiation, you know, uh, tactics, discovery, things, all kinds of things that that sales productivity does, does really well. So those are some extra functions I would probably put under there as well. But but I think uh, I think indeed nailed it's like once you get to that scale of a WeWork, a LinkedIn, a Google, there's a lot of function. Then you can mix and match, right? It's kind of like a Rubik's cube in some way. You can mix and match the different disciplines. Oh, we don't want to now market to media and entertainment or telco here, or we're going to go big in media for this here, and so on. It becomes a a way of just like optimizing your 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 function based on what the market needs is, and of course what the company needs. Yeah. Got it. yeah, and you know, can, can I just maybe add one more thing? Since Robin, thank you for hundred uh, percent. I completely agree with the, the additions you made. The other thing that I've seen quite a bit of kind of like variance around, and going back to our discussion on like what lives in marketing or product is is pricing, right? Pricing yes, and packaging. Yes. That's mm. also an area where, and you know, again, it, 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 I've seen it very widely, but but mm. I think pricing and packaging is such an underappreciated lever in your go-to-market, right? And I think it behooves you to have it be close to an organization mm -hmm. that really understands the customer, spends time with them, as well as with sales, right? And, you know, I've seen it at many companies living within product, and it makes sense in mm -hmm. terms of like the product strategy, but the company, especially in enterprise, right? Like pricing at Salesforce, mm -hmm. for example, lived in product marketing. And mm -hmm. I think it was mm -hmm. better for it, right? Because you're, uh, you, it has to be like a, it's a, such a powerful lever, but also one where some of the biggest inroads you make is when you adjust your pricing strategy. It's not always mm -hmm. easy to, price up or price down like that's typically mm -hmm. an arms race or uh, bottom mm -hmm. but uh but i think that's where you can also be very nimble right and and and, and mm -hmm. keep your ear close to what the customer and the market is saying and 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 kind of have product marketing come in with a strong view on that awesome well indy and robin so this question is for both of y'all <laughs> uh imagine it's the end of the year and you're you look back at your team's overall performance and mm -hmm. and those of the sub-functional teams what does success look like for the team versus the sub-functional teams? And then, of course, at the high, you know, highest level, we're always looking at attribution and uh, metrics and these sort of things. What metrics define your team's success? Yeah, what, what a great question. Um, product marketing has traditionally been one of the harder functions wow. within marketing to measure. Um, and it's just true, you know, it's not as easy to measure as revenue marketing or PR and so on. But I will say this, it starts really with a fundamental question in my mind is usually you're trying to solve for one of two things. You're either, either you have an awareness problem in the market, meaning most people just don't know you exist. So you have to solve for that. Or you're solving for a demand problem, meaning, yeah, people know you exist, but they're not really raising their hand because and, and showing interest in buying from you or interest in your product. So depending on, you have to start there. What are you selling for? So if you say awareness, then you then product marketing has a certain set of functions that they, a certain set of tasks that they have to go do. Meaning if it's awareness you're selling for, can product marketing come up with a super compelling narrative that we can then distribute in all kinds of interesting ways in the market, maybe through social, maybe through communications, maybe to analysts, maybe uh, through our, our marketing channels and so on. And you can then measure at the end of the year, is there awareness going up? And of course, there'll be direct correlation to increase in sales as well if that happens. But awareness is something you can certainly measure. Absolutely. And if you say the other thing, oh, well, actually, we have a demand problem, you mm. know, then product marketing's job becomes a little different. It's like, well, how can we create enough compelling uh, uh, an urgent content and, and messaging throughout each stage of the sales cycle that we get buyers to move through that. So they would move from an MQL to an SQL to a, you know, a really solid opportunity that then closes and so on. And you can, of course, measure that. A lot of that comes down to, do we have the right content that's moving people through the funnel and product marketing is responsible for that. So depends on what you're really going for, but there are ways to measure. I think nowadays being data-driven, it's becoming easier and easier. But I would I would start with that question first, and then product marketing will lean into one of those two areas, really. You know, Robin, I, I didn't want to go on a tangent here because I know we don't have all afternoon, but the, the data-driven stuff is, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'd love to get your opinion on it at another time, just because, you know, on one side, we're, we're becoming more data-driven and mm -hmm. uh, systems are connected, et cetera, et cetera. On the other side, you're starting to see stuff like dark social, right? Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. 
And so that I know that's probably for another conversation. But, <laughs> but Indy, what's your take on on metrics and and uh, what success looks like? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, I, I I definitely agree with Robin, right? Like, given how cross functional product marketing is, it is hard to pin down like what that success metric they they actually own is, right? I think product marketing is that classic servant leader within an organization, right? Because you're helping elevate everyone's game. Uh, but at the end of the day, from an ownership standpoint, right? You know, when I was joking about how many PMs did I get promoted, at the end of the day, it was their launch. Or if you mm. think about like how much richer did your AEs become, right? Because when they take down that deal, even though they use your sales and materials, that's their quota, right? So, so I think that could almost be like a, you know, like, what is it like a lagging indicator, right? Or like success for a <laughs> strong product marketing organization. But, but going back to just the core function, right? Building on what Robin was saying, you know, I, uh, I agree. I think it's um, knowing how you're going to impact whether it's awareness or kind of like, you know, like the resolve for the demand gen and grease the skids there, right? I think, you know, to me, it's two things um, that I would add to that. What helps you get there is I think one is creating successful moments in market, right? I think that helps with mm -hmm. awareness. And then uh, providing the the, 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 the the fossil fuel, right? To kind of like sustain um, that success. And I think that's more like sales, um, uh, you know, uh, attach rates and whatnot, right? So the way you, you measure successful moments in market, right? Typically your, your, um, your, your core kind of metric there is launches, right? Like number of launches, you know, how did those launches perform based on like, you know, maybe the product metrics, was it like, you know, signups, was it like mm -hmm. capturing interest? Was it like, you know, working with demand gen on how many people went to a landing page, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and I, I think the other piece of this, and, and maybe this is where then you also even help PR people getting promoted is messaging pull through, right? Like mm -hmm. at, at Google, you know, we had the good fortune of like, you know, every, almost every time, every product that I launched got a call out on tech meme, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. it's not because I launched it, but it's just because it's Google, right? Like they, you can, mm -hmm. they can sneeze and, and be on tech meme. But, but the, the measure that we had there was very specific. We call it messaging pull through, which basically translates into um, how many articles that covered you almost quoted your messaging verbatim, right? And, and that's like, you know, when, when you see The Verge or TechCrunch or like, you know, the Wall Street Journal literally parrot a line that you remember where you were when you were writing it on your couch, right? <laughs> like it's it's satisfying, but but also because it helps get the job done, right? Like you've made the, that launch is a success because, you know, it's been elevated and amplified and, but on your terms, right? There's no saying like, oh, well, uh, and, you know, I don't know how, some of the recent launches are going right, but like it, it could be like uh, you know, it's it's met with like that almost like verbatim kind of you know parroting of like what your messaging is. So so messaging pull through is I think one one thing that I think is underappreciated, but something that we measured for sales, right? Providing that sales fuel, uh, I think it's uh, you know um, you know a lot of people have uh, and 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 Rowan, I know this will be uh, hit home, right? But the high spots, the show pads of the world, right? Like sales enablement, you know, it's very easy for you with those tools, right? To look at which materials, which sales asset is being used, how often, you know, the attach rates to like opportunities leading to like deals, you know, like you can come up with those metrics, right? Like what, you know, which battle card uh, led to, you know, like a increase in win rates, right? Like, of course you have to have it all metered in the absence of that. And, you know, I think I'm sure your audience is also people who are like much smaller companies. It's just more like, hey, ever since we introduced this new pitch deck, did we get more deals, right? Like that could also be like more anecdotal, but but that's also a measure of success. So I think attach rates, deal velocity, and then just overall growth, right? In terms of like, you know, uh, by what percentage are you impacting like the close rates? You know, uh, at Salesforce, I remember, uh, you know, putting together like a bunch of pitch decks and we always were like iterating on it. But then there was just that one pitch deck that just, you know, crushed it, that helped our team crush it being like, oh, you know, the moment we refined a positioning and just tweaked it, even like flipped one value prop around, it all of a sudden it resonated, right? So I think that's that's one of the things you look at, right? It's those it's those moments in market as well as like the individual kind of like ingredients that that you know like uh, that that kind of like help fuel that sales success. And uh, you know, you talked about Ruin about like you know or and Jorge about you know looking back on a whole year, right? Or even in your career or like in your stint at company X Y Z, you know, um, at MuleSoft we had our founder Ross Mason you know, one of the greatest founders and just like a gem of a person, right? He, I remember him at one of our first offsites uh, defining his vision of success. And um, I'll paraphrase it. I can't, I don't think I'll do the quote justice, but it, he, it was on the lines of like, you know, we, we came, we learned, we worked our asses off and we won. And one day we'll get the band back together. 
right? And um, and I think to me, I was like, man, he's right. You know, like the the proudest thing you can do when you look back on your stints at company X or company Y is like, um, you know, a measure of success is like, who do I want to work with again, right? And uh, and that's why Robin and I are. Uh, you know, end up uh, you know uh, being uh, being good friends, but also just uh, gelling so well when we when we do work together. Oh man, there's so much <laughs> goodness in what both Robin and Indy, you both you share. Robin, I love that you 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 tack the metric question with a question, meaning <laughs> w- what problem are you solving for? Is the awareness <laughs> okay? Th- then then we have to measure a certain way. Is it the demand? Okay, and then we have the certain activities that we have to do and then measure accordingly. I, I love that framing the, uh, just how you approach metrics. And then Indy, the messaging pull through is, is brilliant because a lot of people might say, yeah, messaging, you can't quantify that. You can't measure that. Of course you can. And so uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that you're looking for articles, thought leaders who are resonating with your message to the point where they're actually copying what you're saying and and double clicking on what you're saying. That's brilliant. I'll I'll leave with this part on on the metrics, which is product marketers need to truly set themselves up for for success by setting expectation with their CMO Mm. to have two buckets. One is strategic, one's tactical, meaning one one takes a little longer, the other is, is a little bit more shorter in cycle. The strategic ones are like just the health of your product, like from a revenue and usage perspective, that that's on you. You you should absolutely have joint ownership of the revenue and the adoption and usage of your product or portfolio of products. Your share of, you know, market share increase is another strategic measure. The retention of these customers for the products that they've, um, they've hired, essentially. Those are the strategic buckets. They take longer to obviously track, and then there's the tactical, which you could, you know, manipulate depending on your efforts. That's more month to month, quarter to quarter. That's your win rate, win rate by competitor, deal velocity, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, Indy, average deal size, pipeline health, content consumption by both sales and your your customers. So uh, again, put it into two buckets and and save yourself a world of hurt when your CMO <laughs> says, "Are you on the right track or not?" And you say. Short term, yes. Long term, a little bit, not so much, but we have ways to to get there. All right, let's move on. We'll switch the conversation to how your teams have been positioned to win in in the past. And you know, when I talk about win, uh, for me, product marketers, their sole job is to help their companies win. And win is an acronym. W in win stands for who. Like, who are you going to win with? And who are you going to win against? The I in win is the impact. So what is not just the value that you provide? Most good product marketers can tell you the value that they provide. The great product marketers, shout out Jim Collins, good to great. The great product marketers (laughs) can tell you the impact Mm -hmm. that you're going to receive by hiring this product for their job to be done. And the last N in win is narrative. Like you got to package and and craft all that both internally and externally to convey your mm-hmm. value. So on that on that note, Robin, let's start with you. How did your teams pick a company or amalgamate all the insights that you have, decide mm-hmm. who to win with and who to win against? Yeah, it's such a it really starts with that question. I love it. I love the acronym as well. I've been I've been using it secretly, so I'm a I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> um, and, and 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 I have I really I think it's 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 it just distills kind of product marketing down to its core. Mm. First of all, it's about finding, you know, the people who are the most excited about your product, who can benefit the most, and 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 of course are the most excited. And that's completely different from from company to company, of course, what you're selling and blah, and so on. But it's about finding, I would say, your your evangelist. Um, you know, and, and it starts with really figuring out, okay, who are you going after? Uh, I always say this: you have to, as a company, be able to say you're the first or the best or the only one to do something. And depending on what you say about your product, uh, you know, your company. But let's stick with product. Um, you appeal to different people. Uh, you know, if you say you're the first uh, to do something, you oftentimes appeal to early adopters. 
whether that's a CFO you're selling to or a CMO or a sales leader, whatever it is. But if you say you're the first, you appeal to early adopters. If you say you're the only one, you appeal maybe to more people who want exclusivity. They're willing to pay a premium maybe for that uh, because they can't really get it anywhere else. So they're seen as a, as a luxury or, or really high quality product that that is just kind of exclusive. Um, and if you say you're the best, well, it's a little hard to say, I think that you're the best yourself. Really, it has to be your customers or your market. And that's usually when you've kind of reached, you know, the inflection point of being more of a mass market product. Like, you know, nobody's, Apple doesn't have to say they're the best at anything. You know, the, the market kind of says that for them. Um, and so based on that, you know, that, but that appeals kind of to a different group and you have, you have permission to sell and market yourself a little, a little bit differently. Um, and so, you know, for each of the companies I've worked for, it's about finding, you know, starting there with that question, then find out, well, who do we, who do we go after and how do we create super fans in that category because those super fans obviously become your your chief evangelist there's there's nobody better at selling for you or telling your story for you than than your customers so you got to find them even if it's a small niche to start with like when i was uh, at box for example you know indy was there too you know i was hired to really uh, get into the enterprise dropbox was really strong and and bottoms up for consumers we said let's do the opposite let's go target the enterprise let's get to the cio and so we went really heavily after the cio we went to every we wanted to be everywhere where the cio was so that meant certain events very exclusive very expensive but it also meant that we got into nine out of ten of the biggest companies in the world ended up using box because it became a cio decision to go company-wide but we identified that that's what we wanted to do and we had a strategy around that and then, of course, uh, the, the stories we told, the impact, like to your point, the, the I, it, it wasn't just about, well, here are the benefits you get. It was about trying to walk our customers through the transformation that they would they would experience as a company uh, based on them using our product. And I think there are five different levels. It's probably too much to go into today, but we can do it maybe some other time. But there are five different levels of benefit for the individual for uh, that's kind of the first level. There's benefits for an individual. There's benefits for kind of their this the social circle, friends, family. There's benefit for you uh, your workspace. There's benefit um, for your company. I mean, there's benefits for the society, and then there's benefits kind of for the world. And as if you if you tell the right stories and become a kind of a super brand, you can tell stories at each of those levels how your product will benefit. Uh, you as a person, but also how it will benefit you as a company, and also how it will benefit society if you know, more companies start doing this. So that's the impact. You want to tell impact stories, not not just uh, you know feature stories. And then finally, to the end part of your your question, the narrative. I'm a huge believer that product marketing's job is to craft an error, but it really starts by getting the internal company excited. So the best companies I've worked for. Uh, knows how to do this really well. Salesforce did it really well. I think LinkedIn did it well. We had a huge internal campaigns before we launched anything external to the market to really amp up the excitement because your your employees are such great advocates uh, for your company and your products. And if you teach them and train them to be excited and how to tell that narrative, they will go, of course, share that widely into the world. Uh, so, but product marketing is, is really at the core of, of, of working on those strategies. Um, Indy, so, anything to add? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, so I think on the on the on the the you know, I also like win, and you know, it reminds me of like, is it the DJ Khaled song, right? Like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just keep on having that as a you know, like a a year horn when I hear your acronym, but but I think it's spot on, right? I agree uh, on the who. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I have anything to add to what Robin said, right? It's so much is about saying like who your product is for and who it's not for, right? Like, can you be honest with yourself and and be focused enough to really focus on those people who are going to be those early adopters, right? And But I think what that does give you, so 100% I agree with what Robin was saying there, but the, the beauty in that focus is then that it, it lends itself to the narrative, right? Because let's say those early adopters are wildly successful, right? Like I, you know, Robin and I were both at Salesforce when, you know, Salesforce at the end of the day, like they were already public, but when they were trying to make the cloud a thing, right? Like, and, you know, it's it's hard to believe, right? But, you know, in circa 2008, there was still like, we had to have, like, we had this very popular video was called like, what is the cloud, right? And, uh, and, and, and still to that day, like, there's so much burden of education on like telling them why people should move their workloads to the cloud, 
we're obviously not there anymore, but but Salesforce was one of those pioneers there where really they had to kind of like make that case and even hitch their 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 right to to the fact that cloud would be adopted, right? They're obviously they innovated, but AWS was already kind of starting, but you know, undercover, right? Um, so uh, where I was going with that is I think you know once you do have those early bets with those early customers pay off, man, you can you can milk those stories for 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 what they're worth, right? Like. Uh, you know, so uh, true. right? Like every mm-hmm. every uh, corporate pitch, right? That we had at Salesforce and even at Box. You know, like uh, you had like five key customers that you repeat to. I I, I forget Box, but like at Salesforce, for some reason, like I remember Benioff, like for five years running, always talked about Japan Post, right? And nobody in America knew who Japan Post was, right? But they were mm-hmm. one of the biggest customers conglomerates over there, and you know, and and Japan as a market. The Japanese market, the, the uptake in enterprise software is is one of the fastest uh, in, in in the world in terms of just because it's uh it's all like kind of conglomerated. I don't know if that's a word, but but you know the buying power is concentrated in like these you know um, uh, aggregators, right? And so if you get purchased there with one of them, you've got the market, right? So Japan Post was a big example for us at Salesforce and one that you know we in pitch decks and you know, um, before you know it, right? Like obviously we started growing the customer base, but you know, once you have those go-tos, it's story storytelling gold. And what that sets you up then on the impact, right? The narrative portion of this is then you have what I'd call, uh, and Robin, I'm sure you're going to smile as I say this, but right, like, but every slide deck is going to have that one money slide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one where, you know, you built it and even as a product marketer, you're like, and now I'm going to drop the, the crack slide, right? Like, boom, you know, and, and people look at it and like, you can see the light bulbs turning on and where they're like, it's like, oh man, so if you're telling me, you know, people are there, but you can take me here, right? And it was literally mm-hmm. called the crack slide because... One, I think people <laughs> reacted to it like crack, but literally there was also Fisher, like, you know, we did a nice mm-hmm. kind of graphic uh, where saying like, why why stay here when you can be there, right? It's like mm-hmm. the from to, right? That's also a very <laughs> popular heuristic that's saying like, you know, go from like the from where everybody is to this, right? Like, why don't you do that, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think it, it shows those customers, the successful ones being the ones who cross that chasm, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the FOMO there is real, right? Because you don't want to, you're, you're sitting in that audience and you see like, you know, your competitor who embraced the cloud. And this was in the early days, right? Talking and looking all cool and stuff. And you're like, shit, why didn't I do that? You know? So, so I, <laughs> so I think every, every pitch deck should, should really lean in on that ability to say like, you know, what if you could be a better version of yourself today, right? And and that mm-hmm. can happen with 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 our product, our wares, and whatnot, right? So so quick example uh, at Salesforce, you know, I was part of like the the App Exchange, you know, like the Salesforce's enterprise app marketplace, the ISV program. So it was like you know basically independent software vendors building on Force.com, which was our initial platform as a service. You know, ten years ago, you know, it was not. It, it was, you know, a, a, a kind of like a, a you know, a, a side project, right? Fast forward today, like platform is one of the biggest businesses of Salesforce, right? Like even eclipsing CRM for the first time since, uh, you know, like three years ago. But I think one of the things that we had is that we had our own version of a crack slide in that in the pitch deck that we give to partners. And this is something that I, you know, I researched. I remember reading, what is it, like Nancy Duarte's Resonate, you know, mm. and a, like a big nerd, uh, you know, my coffee on Friday mornings at Salesforce when, you know, everybody was drinking. I'd be, well, not drinking, but, you know, probably drinking. It's Friday. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I, I was like, you know, nerding out on like the, the slides and I came up with something, you know, uh, with my own kind of production values. But But literally it was just like a, a question, right? My crack slide was a question. It's like, um, and so force.com, what we ended up talking about, it was platform as a service, uh, very in a quick nutshell, it was taking the infrastructure that salesforce.com was built on, but just kind of white labeling your own custom objects and, you know, having, building an app that was ready to go and cloud ready, but for your own kind of area of expertise, it could be um, an ATS application tracking system. It could be job expenses, right? So, and we have some huge partners now, right? Like, um, yeah, who built on that platform. But the, the the crack slide was the following, right? It was, you know, what if you could be the salesforce.com of your own domain, right? Like, uh, and, you know, like Salesforce always led and make partners kind of, you know, salivate by showing like their revenue kind of charts, right? Like the first 
five decks, I don't know if this is still the case, right? It was always like Salesforce up into the right, right? And and that was the that was the um th that was the, the 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 prompt, right? Is like, you know, what if you could be the salesforce.com of your own domain with favorable cloud economics on day one, right? Because that was the value prop of the platform saying that, hey, you don't have to spend all and outlay all this capital and building it and you know, using your databases and servers and all, you're cloud ready from day one, right? And it was a small thing, right? But just that kind of heuristic of like posing as a question and making people dream, right? It was so aspirational. And I have to believe that that's what led to like, you know, some, some in its own way, you know, there's obviously a lot of other hard work going left and right. But once we had that pitch, we saw market uptake in terms of like just partners joining. So, you know, and then going back to like, you know, the narrative, you know, we talked about when, like, you know, the who, the impact, right? Like having a strong narrative, uh, to kind of like, you know, uh, bookend all of that, right? You know, to me, storytelling, right, is so key. Uh, but you do have to start with like, you know, positioning, right? And, uh, and, and, and I think sometimes even before positioning, you have to like start with that intent, right? Like, what is that job that only you can do as a company to help others succeed, right? And, uh, you know, I'll, um, uh, you know, uh, some, some more examples come to mind, but let me just pause there. Awesome. Well, Indy, let's stay with you. Once yes. you have your... Uh, once we have you have your target audience top of mind, how did your teams not only determine the value you offer, but the impact of that value? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, so maybe I'll, I'll dive into that example then. Right. Like it's I think is um, the impact of the value. Right. So I think we talk, talked a lot about, you know, uh, you know, having like that that rich storytelling strand. Right. Like I think um, I'll give you the following example. So when I was at Box, you know, also with Robin. Right. Like, you know, we had the unfortunate sort of circumstances of like having a huge competitor that was wildly popular called Dropbox. Right. Like you do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. you have a, you, 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 your, your name ends with the last three letters. And uh, and my job was even harder because, you know, Robin talked about being on the enterprise side of the house. I was on the developer marketing you know, mm -hmm. side of the house. And there you got to believe that almost every developer under the sun had a Dropbox account, right? Because it was the fastest adopted kind of cloud app in the early days, right? Like everybody had a Dropbox account, that that killer kind of referral viral program, right? So so they just had so much purchase um, uh, with that mindset. So true story, I, I, I hosted a hackathon back in my home turf in, uh, in Cambridge, uh, Kendall Square. And, um, and you know, uh, we proudly had our box signage, you know, like the tablecloth, right? We're, uh, we're hosting a hackathon. And people come to us and they're like, oh my God, Dropbox, I love you guys, you know? And, and then they're like, wait, did you change your name? You know? And, and we're like, no, 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 we're Box. And they're like, you mean Dropbox, right? I was like, no, 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 Box. And it's like, well, are you different? Like, what is it? Can I still, do I still get free, you know, GBs, right? Like, <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and, and we were like, yeah, yeah, you know, so like, I, I, and immediately this was, I think, in my first, probably first quarter there. And I was like, we're doing these field marketing events. It's such a huge lift. But you know, there's no point us competing against the eyeballs that Dropbox has, right? I think we can't, we, we're not going to be successful going for quantity. We cannot, literally mm -hmm. cannot compete with them there. We have to compete with them on quality, right? And of course, the key thing to us, the, 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 what we put to our name was the, the, uh, you know, the fact that we were enterprise first, right? That's still something to, mm -hmm. to this day, if I'm not mistaken, Dropbox is still struggling with, right? They've had a lot of pivots back and forth on whether they're enterprise or not, right? But Box, from you know probably year three on laser focused on like enterprise right mm -hmm. and so i think what made us really successful this platform team which was you know one of the funnest teams i've ever been part of right what what made us secure a bunch of wins is that we ended up figuring out like to us to have impact we had to really think about um who we were going after and 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 why we would make them successful and so we ended up kind of making this positioning jujitsu where we're saying like we launched this product called one cloud which is like an ecosystem of like apps, but that were really oriented towards enterprise workflows. So, you know, this was when, you know, iPad was just taking off. Everybody wanted like, you know, robust storage solutions for like, you know, like their iPads, right? Like the iPad back in the day did not have a file system the way a PC would, right? So that was one of the Achilles heels. But, you know, there were a lot of com uh, companies that were building integrations that integrated with Dropbox. But then what we did was we ended up with, and this was, you know, a group effort, but we had some very talented people on the team who literally scrappy as hell, they went to the top 10 productivity apps on the uh, on the Apple App Store and emailed the developers behind each of them saying like, hey, it looks like you, you're integrated with Dropbox, but it looks like you're an enterprise app. Do you want to integrate with us, right? And 
that just took off like wildfire. Like we had, we put a launch together. I think Robin might remember this because he was sweating like a bunch of details across like this whole event we were putting together. Very good. <laughs> and and Aaron Levy, our, our founder, was like, "Man, we need to you know, you know, throw some you know fairy dust on this stuff. You know, like he's like platform team, come up with something in three weeks." And that's what we did, right? And so we launched this ecosystem with like thirty five integrated apps. They weren't all quite there. You know, we led with like five and said that thirty five apps will be there by like you know the end of the month. 35 became 50, 50 became 100 within a year. And then, you know, within two years, we had a thousand integrated apps, right? But here's where the, I think the, the payoff on like the impact and even the narrative came from is that the reason we were successful is because we did not try to, you know, be like that shotgun approach, trying to get all the developers on the sun. In fact, like what we did was it was more like a sniper rifle. It was like, let's focus on all these enterprise wannabe boxes, right? And uh, we had this uh, billboard on the 101, right? That said, you know, hey, got an enterprise app, join us, right? And like, you know, we, it was box one cloud, like our logo, but then the first 35 members of one cloud, like their, their logos, like, you know, probably given this a billboard, this is like the size of your wall, right? Like your logo on the highway. And I can't tell you how much goodwill we got out of that, right? And not only goodwill, but also business results, because obviously we got to the integration levels we wanted, the numbers of integrations we wanted. Um, it probably was one of the things that continued to being a huge payoff. Like every other announcement that we have from a PR standpoint, there was a little bit of like a platform kind of like, you know, component to it. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, like I think we did the job as intended, but with like a multiplier effect on, on the whole organization, right? So that's why it's so important, right? Like when you have that that storytelling strand, that intent, that impact um, to, to be able to deliver on it. And, and that at its core is product marketing. Oh, my, it pains me to have to, to come to an end here from a podcast perspective because there's so much goodness. But I got one last question for you, tip top gentlemen. If you can share your thoughts on how product marketers should approach their discipline, mm. their craft, mm to ensure that internally they're perceived as architects of growth, AKA marketechs versus just yet another cost center in the organization. What's your, your parting advice for our product marketers listening? <laughs> um, I would say the most important thing in, in product, because you're going to be thrown, there's so many projects you're going to be involved in. And we've covered a lot of them today. It could be anything from pricing to messaging to go to market and so on. The secret is, you know, you operate really at three different levels. And Indy and I have worked together long enough so he knows that how I think. You either do tactical work or strategic work or you do epic work. Mm. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, when people look back on what product marketing did, they'll remember you for one thing. Mm. That's it. I hate to say it. It's it's because you know, you're going to work on a lot more than one thing, but they're going to remember you for one thing. So what is that one thing that you want to be remembered for? that's gonna really give your career an amazing boost and also your company an amazing boost. It could be a launch, certainly. That's an important part of, of, of being a part of our team. Oftentimes you're measured on the success of your launches. It could be a new initiative, new messaging or so on. But at the end of the day, find that thing that is the most needed in your company. And again, it comes back to, are we trying to raise awareness? Are we trying to you know, generate more demand? Find that is, and then lean all in. Mm. And then say, this is going to be my epic thing for this year. All the other stuff, it's okay if I get a B, maybe a C on some of these things, but there's one thing I'm going to do better than anything else that we're going to be remembered for at the end of the year. And my name is going to be attached to that. Yeah. If I'm in product marketing, that's what I would do. Oh, one thing. Love it. So a historic launch, creating mm -hmm. a new category mm -hmm. name. That's and, right. That's and right. Category. Okay. I, I, that's fantastic. Indy. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's it's remarkable. Uh, I, I was going to say a very similar thing, right? Like, focus on securing that early win, right? And I think, you know, Robin did, uh, I, I completely agree, you know, you could, it, it, winning can look and feel in so many different forms. There's obviously the epic stuff that everyone's like, oh, it'd be amazing, right? But that takes time, right? And if you're just getting started within a team, the way I think you position yourself for success or to be known as this known entity is to do what I'd call like famous work, right? And when I when I say famous work, it's not that it's something that's going to be absolutely epic and like, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, the billboard, all of that stuff that I was talking about, definitely famous work, right? Like it certainly helped put like elevate my team and you know, even the work that I did, uh, put it on the radar for the organization, right? And, and it made us like a, a bankable kind of trusted 
sort of like team with for, from an output standpoint, but it could also be something super tactical, right? Like I remember uh, Salesforce was my first marketing job. And I remember like I was sitting across like, you know, again, on this app exchange ISV team, I had the sales rep called Angela and she was like tearing her hair out because like for a year she was asking for this data sheet for like something really not obscure, but something that like people just thought that everybody understood. And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's so complicated. I just want a data sheet. And it was like the OEM data sheet. I still remember it to this day. So something that feels so tactical, right? But I banged it out in like a week, right? Because I was like, all right, it looks like, you know, so do you have the data? Like, like, what do you want? And then, and, you know, I put the information together. We had one review cycle. Then I gave it to a designer. He put the Salesforce fairy dust on it. And then we had this asset. Then everybody was like, holy shit, we have an OEM data sheet, you know, boom, you know, and like, and and then, you know, I'd go to happy hours or like, you know, Angela brought me coffee the next day, <laughs> you know, and, and like all of a sudden you think about those early wins and who those wins are for. Obviously it's something that you want to focus on because, you know, if you're just starting in product marketing or the new job, you want to secure those early wins, right? That's something that's common, commonly known, but uh, find those people who are then going to be your net promoters in your organization, right? Like, Angela was, you know, like uh, for other things, you know, like you, you just start building your name out there, right? So it's knocking out those those early wins, but and that one thing. Going back to what Robin was saying, right? Get that one thing right. Get that one thing right early, and you know, people are going to sing your praises. Wow. So from helping Angela with her OEM that data sheet to all the wins at Box and. And MuleSoft and Google and WeWork and Matterport and, and Robin, same for you. Thank you both for joining us, for sharing uh, these fabulous insights and tangible insights as well. Uh, I'm very grateful you guys have lent us your time and insights. Um, again, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. Our pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Great chatting. <laughs>